0: On this episode of Restored All, we've actually got a lawyer to talk to us about why your company needs to have a solid plan for e-discovery requests. If you'd rather skip the banter, just go to three minutes and 30 seconds. Hope you enjoy the episode. You could- Hi and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host W. Curtis Preston, aka Mr. Backup, and I have with me the guy that should be celebrating my recent auto repair victory, <laughs> Prasanna Maliandi. <laughs>
1: so it's a success, Curtis. The saga, the ongoing am, repair saga. I am declaring.
0: <laughs> I am declaring it a success after all that work. Uh, you know, now there there are going to be some purists that are not going to like the. The solution, um, because it's not a long term solution, but we'll see how long term it is. I, you know, long story short, I was having a misfire and it said it was either the EGR valve or it was going to be a, a head gasket. And I don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of money, like two thousand dollars, to replace head gasket on an engine that has 200,000 miles on it. So I did some research and selected the um oh I, I replaced the egr valve that didn't fix it and i um uh see if you were a regular of the podcast you'd have heard all, the, all this already <laughs> uh and uh, i decided to use something called steel seal which was the best rated of the various uh of the liquid sealing products uh any mechanics in the room are like oh no don't do, use that everyone's ad.
1: cringing that's exactly what i'll say yeah again. uh
0: but um I you know, and it wasn't exactly easy. You know, I had to replace all of the coolant with uh, with um, distilled water and put it in there. And you know, and but I got to say, I've you know, I've driven it all over Tarnation since repairing it. No code, no nothing. Uh, it was an intermittent code, but it was definitely you know, intermittent enough that it, I would have had it by now. So, so I'm declaring so- success.
1: That's awesome. I know you were very worried and you were trying all these other mechanisms before having to worry about the head gasket. So crossing my yeah. fingers, I hope it works out, but we'll see. Give if it. I get yeah.
0: another, you know, 20,000 miles out of it, I'll be ecstatic. If I get 100,000 miles, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Because basically yeah. the next step is, I, you know, I've priced a, an engine for the car and that's 4500 yeah. um, And because I'm not going to spend $2,000 just yeah. to replace the head gasket in the car. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it
1: worked, and I'm glad you persevered, Curtis, and you did
0: not give up. I really am excited about our guest this week. He's going to bring a unique perspective than than you know than we've ever had before. Uh, he has been an attorney for almost 50 years and counsels a wide range of companies on international matters. He founded Privacy Rules, a global alliance of technology and law firms dedicated data privacy compliance, and is also the host. Of the Data Privacy Detective podcast, welcome to the podcast, Joe Daner.
2: Well, thank you, uh, Curtis. Great to be with Mr. Backup, and uh, Prasanna, You as well.
0: You know, I I, uh, I got I had a chance to come on your podcast, and we we talked a little bit about privacy, my my world of privacy, right? Which is in 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 our world. Backups are a part of the overall privacy story, right? right. Because our, our our biggest worry is that well, well, there's two things. One is that someone would actually exfiltrate the backups and use them uh, to to infiltrate uh, somebody's privacy. And then the other is the and I think we talked about this on your podcast. The concern that many of us have that regulations like GDPR and CCPA where they say well you have to delete this person's information and the technology really isn't there to delete it from the backup so it's a it's a it's a real challenge um and I, I, have you have you run into anything like that where where somebody you know where they've done one of these deletion requests and they were unable <laughs> to do it
2: sure it's a chronic problem in legal proceedings absolutely right. because of Basically, the American approach to what we call discovery. And so mm-hmm. what we're really talking about today is, is e-discovery. Right. And uh, it's it's a very challenging uh, process that I'm happy to get into with you.
0: I throw out our usual disclaimer. Persona and I work for different companies. He works for Zoom. I work for Druva. Uh, this is not a podcast of either company. And uh, and at least two of us on this recording are not giving any sort of legal advice. <laughs> and Joe is not giving legal advice. He's giving his opinion on legal matters. Uh, but anyway, also, please uh, rate us at uh, rate ratethispodcast.com dot com slash restore. And if you think you've got something, you know, interesting to say in our space, we'd love to hear from you at WC Preston on Twitter or W Curtis Gmail.
1: One of the things I wanted to touch on, though, Curtis, is you were talking about you have to delete it. I think there's sort of this notion, and Joe, keep me honest here, right? That, oh, "Oh, just because someone asked for their data to be deleted, it's gone, right? But there are cases where because of regulations or because it's needed for the business, like for instance, your credit card transactions, right? When you buy something, right? That's sort of you need to keep around. So I think there are still cases where data that a user, even though they've requested it to be deleted, can't be deleted and that's completely acceptable for it to remain
2: yeah well let me let you in a little secret i think you know we had a president who was a lawyer remember trying to play what, what does the word is mean you remember that but that's it's cool. a little the same here what does delete mean what does delete really mean now it's one thing if let's say uh my client uh, the company has uh, gotten into an altercation with another company and uh the argument was uh, that the one my client let's say And uh, had had data it shouldn't have. And so it ought to delete it, not use it, not compete unfairly. And, you know, a typical kind of non-compete case. Well, it's one thing for that company to say, I have deleted it. But in a way, it's almost unprovable. What if if an employee of that company had left the month before and happened to take some uh, on their personal computer, which happened, you know, you never can guarantee things. So judges understand that delete needs a definition. Very often uh, settlements are made and, and courts uh, will uh, affirm them uh, or an order will be issued ending a case and, and it'll say, and uh, all, all, all information either should be deleted Right. Or mm-hmm. you can assure me that all copies have been gotten rid of. Now it's one thing if it's pieces of paper. If it's another thing if it's ones and zeros. How do you right. how do you ever really prove that? So and furthermore, there's some companies who have a belief I need to keep at least a backup copy. Maybe I'll give it to an escrow agent and I'll say, I don't have it anymore, to prove what I deleted. Because how do you ever prove what you deleted <laughs> when you deleted it? So we're into a bit of a never never land uh, uh on this, I'll, I'll let you know one secret about deletion, and that is, uh, companies have document retention policies, right? You know, for HR matters, how long do you keep them? It's kind of state law—five years, six years, seven years, whatever it is. There is no document retention policies at most major law firms uh, in the United States hmm. because each each set of data is a little different. Cases can drag on f- sometimes up to ten years. And then what do you need to keep afterwards? Well, it depends what the case was. So th- we're in an area where there is no established best practice, even to document retention, which has to do, of course, with deletion.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, um, I have a, a high school friend who is um, uh, an attorney, and I just saw on Facebook this morning that he has had his second mistrial in a due, due to the actions of the, the defense, uh, in a in a case that has lasted eleven years, uh, so he so, so it's going to continue um, on past that. Um, so, yeah that 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 is an interesting problem. Let me tell you what I'm often advising people about. The concern that I have is that many people keep their backups. For far too long, okay. Yeah. Um, that well, many people many people keep a lot of data, but in this case, it's backups. There's this there's this sort of uh, sense that well, I I need to keep this sort of a, the th- the same thing you talked about with an attorney. Like I need to keep this for seven years, for ten years. I, I I've met customers that I can think of a large financial company in New York where uh, they kept. All backups forever. Okay. <laughs> and they, that, and it was a big company and it resulted mm-hmm. in design changes that were necessary to happen to the backup company that they happened to have. It, ha- it happened to be uh, Veritas Net Backup. And there were design changes that were made to Veritas Net Backup so that this customer <laughs> could keep their data th- that amount of time. And so what I'm constantly telling people is, if you don't have a regulatory reason to keep something for ten years or whatever that whatever that regulation is, then keep it a much shorter period of time. And the reason that I'm talking about this is that backups are notoriously bad that what they're great at is restore your laptop the way it looked yesterday, right. right? Restore the server the way it looked yesterday. Find me these three emails uh, that I wrote five years ago. It's not so good at that. In fact, it's horrible at that. And the thing that, the, the thing that I'm worrying about is, and again, this is a term that you would be familiar with. Uh, I'm, I'm warning people that they will get any discovery request, their, their retrieval will be so bad that it will result in an adverse inference instruction from the the judge. So before and, you go on,
1: um, can you yeah. sort of, can we talk about each and every single one of those terms you just <laughs> threw out there, Curtis?
2: When we say e-discovery, what are we talking about? Now, now you're entering the lawyer's world. Very sorry. <laughs> yeah. Try to yeah. avoid it if you can. But <laughs> e-discovery is really pretty simple if you think about it. It is the process of preserving, collecting, and analyzing electronically kept data in response to a discovery request in a legal proceeding. That's what e-discovery is.
0: And, and what and, is a discovery yeah. request for those who don't know that what that is? Yeah,
2: okay. Uh, and this could be in a criminal case, but almost always these are civil cases where somebody, a person or a company is suing another person or a company over something. It could be a personal injury. It could be an uh, unfair competition case. could be anything at all. could be a privacy matter. Uh, Okay, and so now we're in a U.S. court, and I'll talk about other courts later if you want to get into international stuff, but uh, if we're in a U.S. court, could be a state court, could be a federal court, and we have the broadest idea in the world about what happens when you're in court, and it is you better produce every bit of evidence the other side wants that has the slightest thing to do with the issues in the case. Mm-hmm. And so we're called a litigious society for good reason because that employs a lot of lawyers. Because uh, what happens is the plaintiff or the defendant in a case, sometimes there are many parties, will send a discovery request saying, Give me all the documents you have. Let's pause. What's a document? It's no longer pieces of paper or photos, it's anything, anywhere on an iPhone or in a computer or messages or on a smartphone or that's a document, you see and uh, give me everything you have about everything. It has the slightest thing to do with the case. And lawyers go to enormous lengths to get anything they can find, because maybe they'll find an email that uses a a terrible word or, you know, anything to disadvantage the other side. Is all part of the scoop. And the other thing that you all know very well, that most people don't know, is that The real problem in e discovery and frankly, the rest of life is there's too much information in too many formats on too much media managed by too many applications. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you get a let's say it's a sexual harassment case. Uh, Somebody is suing because the company had a hostile work environment. Okay, give me all the documents about the work environment. Well, you want everybody's personal emails then. Do they say in their company or in their personal emails bad things about you know another gender or another nationality or whatever it may be? What are you scooping up? You're scooping up very personal information, you see? And it all gets out there. And sometimes you end up with credit cards that are part of an email at the bottom of the chain. and I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And it's about boy, I've had cancer for three weeks, but don't tell anybody. And now that's in a document shared with one person. But this is the problem. It's just enormous. And so the the time and attention and cost of dealing with large cases uh, is just enormous, not to mention the lawyer time and everything else involved. And the risk, we're back to what you mentioned earlier. Why are we keeping this stuff forever? You know, in Europe, the idea is data minimization. Get rid of data right. unless you have a good reason to keep it. Why, why would you hang on to it? You're you're only subjecting yourself to the risk of being sued because you kept it too long. <laughs> yep. So uh, we were talking, you know, I've talked too much. Please uh, jump in yep. here. But these are some of the problems you're talking about here.
1: And so e-discovery is usually the mechanism to grab all this data. I know one of the things you mentioned was sort of analyzing the data. Yeah. Right? So imagine that you're pulling all the company emails, right? That's not a lawyer or a set of folks looking at those word by word, right, and reading each one like they might have done back in the day when it was paper documents, right? This is a system, right, a software package that kind of helps them parse the data and all the data that's out there and look for sort of keyword matches and other things like that. Is that right, Joe? That's the
2: collection part. Remember, the three phases, preserving. First thing you do once you get sued or you know you're going to, I mean, you have to preserve evidence. You try to throw it away, you're in big trouble. You see, that's a problem. We can talk about a sanctions case where somebody did that. You know, they left the company and wiped their phone. That becomes an issue. But that's the the collections. And then uh, collecting is the second piece. Collecting all this. And you've got to, lawyers uh, can't do that. They have to hire (laughs) people like you all and, you know, tech people and know what they're doing to collect it. And then the last thing is analyzing, right?
1: Yeah. And for the preserving piece, I think, at least on the tech side, sometimes we've called it like legal hold, right? Other things like that terminology in order to preserve the data so it doesn't get wiped out, be it a backup doesn't get expired due to its retention time expiring or an email getting deleted from the system automatically. So That's right. Well, your, give what, you
2: one. No, let me give you a war story. This is a case from just last year, uh, where uh, a person left a company and he had two phones. He took the company phone, shouldn't have done that, and then wiped stuff clean because he didn't want anybody to know what he'd been doing. And but he, he also got a contraband phone and put company stuff on it, knowing that he'd only use WhatsApp for that, and knowing that WhatsApp deletes data after what is it, th- three months or whatever they're. Policies. Mm. He was excused from wiping the phone from the company phone, even though he took it with him because five years had passed, and he, the judge couldn't find that he, he uh, deliberately did that. But knowing that WhatsApp was going to delete it in whatever three months, well, I think it was ninety days, the judge threw sanctions at him. He had to pay money. See, and could have a real problem. That's just one little example of what you're talking about: it collecting and preserving, and, uh, and even before you get to it, analyzing it.
0: Yeah. Because I know that once, you, once you've once you been notified that you're a party uh, in a lawsuit, and potentially a, a potential party, right? That's yes. where that preservation begins. That's where you're right. saying, if you then, like the day after you've been told you're going to be sued about a hostile work environment, and then you suddenly... Delete all emails older than well, in a week.
2: You're in big trouble. You're <laughs> always guaranteed to lose a case. The judge will throw the book at you. You can't do that, that's
1: right. right? But is it? Um, here, here's a question: uh, Keeping politics outside of this, right? Yeah. Is it worse to get the sanctions thrown at you versus what they might potentially dig up in those emails? Well, it's a good question.
2: <laughs> uh, You know, but in general, uh, in in any case, uh, any judge will start out being neutral. And then as the case unfolds, uh, the judge will get an opinion about that. Most of these discovery rules are done by magistrate judges. They're they're sort of the the second fiddle to the judge. And they take care of a lot of these discovery uh, matters. And, and and they're there to make sure that people uh, produce relevant documents. Uh, and, and that's their job. But they, they're they not there. There's a, an idea in, in the courts of proportionality. What does that mean? That means uh, you get a request, give me uh, every document you've ever created. Well, no judge would enforce <laughs> that. It's got to be somewhat specific to the case. All right. And mm-hmm. then the next thing is, well, how specific? I'll give you another case from last year where, One of the LA fitness shops. Somebody slipped and fell on the tile floor in a bathroom out in California. Okay, that was the case. So uh, the the plaintiff asked LA fitness, give me every document you have about any incident in any bathroom. Well, they have 600 places around the. And the the judge narrowed it down to okay, uh, those 600 other places only have to give incidents where a person slipped and fell on a tile floor. You see what happened there. The, the judge, yeah. near, this is what we call proportionality, but that means they had to reach out to 600 different stores and you see what goes on. And the, this is part of yeah. the collection
0: process. So let's get to that term and I'm going to give you a story, Joe. Um, and this is from, uh, this, I don't know, 20 years ago. I can't remember. It was a large household name, financial organization in, in New York. They, they, had a famous case where they were asked for all the emails, you know, for the last three years or whatever. And they had been using their backup system as their archive system, which is something that we talk about on this, on this podcast a lot, which is a very bad thing to do. And they had also changed their backup system multiple times during the time frame that the discovery was taking place or that the, the discovery covered. And long story short, the, the process of getting these emails out was taking forever. Yeah. Um, it, it, and it, it was taking forever because of everything I just said, that they had used their backup as their archive, that they had changed the stuff, they had changed backup formats, tape formats, they changed all these things. And then towards the end of the discovery of, of the process, the, the, um, there's some kind of form, I'm sure you're familiar with, there's some kind of moment where the person who's supposed to be satisfying the discovery request um, says, okay, we've done the thing that you asked us to do. They yes. did that moment in time, and then they found another box of tapes. Of course. Um, the judge then, and, and this is uh, this is where I want to get back to this term, the judge issued an adverse inference instruction. Basically, what the judge said was, Whatever the plaintiff said was on those tapes, it was probably on the tapes because no one could be this bad at reading their tapes. They're doing this on purpose. Uh, and as a result, they lost, I think it was a like a two billion dollar uh, uh, case um, as a result of that instruction. So talk to us about adverse inference and you know what that means and so on.
2: Right. Well, you know, when you're in a courtroom, the law, the rules of evidence apply. Now, the federal rules uh, are in federal courts, but most cases are in state courts. Some state rules of evidence are different from federal rules. But in general, we're talking evidence. And in a civil case, which is uh, what you're talking about there, Curtis, uh, it's who wins by 51.50.1%. 51.50.1%. 50. Uh, you don't have to prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt. It's uh, what's more likely than not? That's all. And the jury's free to, if you have a jury. If you have a judge, same thing, only has to be persuaded. So presumptions and adverse inferences matter a great deal because that's the judge telling a jury or the judge acting for him or herself saying, hmm, I've got a doubt about this one, but because they acted that way, I'm going to find that the other side wins. On that point, that's right. what an adverse interest in, uh, it really has to do with. And in a civil it, case, that, that sounds like that was a $2 billion turning
0: <laughs> point. Yeah. Perhaps it, on so that it, point. it's putting it in plain English, they're inferring from inferring. your actions yeah. something that is adverse to your position. That's right. Tense the term adverse inference.
2: It all gets very specific, Curtis. That's exactly right. And the mere fact that you find something after you've said we've already given you everything, this is actually more common than one might think. And, and judges understand that. Your instance was probably one where they really had probably been through it two or three times and really said that's right. it. And then they find stuff. And yeah. yeah, you can draw an inference from that.
1: Yeah. Sure
0: yeah. It's, it's like it, no, nobody could be this bad. Well, it's
1: interesting, though, because you're basically telling the IT, the backup person, actually probably the backup operator, right, who's doing these restores, by the way, here's this legal directive that came down, you have to now gather all this data, and good luck, right, because they may not even necessarily know, like, where is all that data? And what are the pieces of data I need to collect from? And I know, I think, Curtis, you had mentioned once in that story in the past that they sort of were trying to restore each email server one by one from the backups.
0: Yeah. If you have a proper email archive system and and you get an e-discovery request, I need all the emails from Joe to Steve for the last three years. That's like five mouse clicks and you're done. (laughs) And here's a PST file. Here you go. Feed that over to the to the e-discovery you know the 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 uh what's it called the the calling process right um but if you're using a backup system to get all the emails from joe to steve for the last 3 years i have to restore the the email server 52 times times 3 years <laughs> right and then pull out the emails for that week and then you know and then go on and go on and go on and on. and there's and there's no guarantee That you get all of the emails that were sent to receive because if you send emails uh, and then you delete them before the backup system gets them, right? Um, So yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's why I I preach very often of like, please, please get a proper archive. You know, an archive system. Uh, It's
2: critical, and you're you're introducing the metadata problem. Here, uh, really. And let's talk about that a bit. And when we talk about metadata, we're talking about the actual appearance of, of a document, meaning when mm-hmm. was it sent, uh, to by whom, to whom, in the format. Uh, and, and what mm-hmm. happens when, uh, and I don't know enough about backup, you'll have to clear it up. But anytime you take something that's so-called original, let's take somebody's iPhone that has stuff mm-hmm. on it, messages. and And when you move that somewhere else, you can be changing the metadata unintentionally. Uh, no purpose to it at all. And that is evidence that has then been, you could say, uh, we have a great word in the law, spoliation. You oh, have yeah. spoiled the evidence, you see. And, and that is when judges do get upset. Because yeah. you've literally altered the evidence. You see what I mean? Uh, you know, and, and in the old, you know, this was a problem in the old hard copy days, you know, just paper days and photograph days. You want the original. We don't want a copy of the DNA sample you may have, uh, you know. No, no, we want what you collected. You see what I mean? And in data, it's the same problem. This is a
1: critical point you're making. Then here's the one question I have: You want to preserve the metadata. You want to preserve the content. Is it okay to change the format though? So maybe it like if you're (laughs) and it. I guess it also depends to what extent. Like, is it okay to move from say? object storage to, say, a normal file system file? Is it okay to move from everything being as normal, like, email text, what you would see, into, like, a machine-readable language, like a JSON format or something else like that, right? All these things, they're transforming the original data. And just going back to what you were saying, Joe, they want it in that original way. Like, how original is original when it comes to electronic media? (laughs)
0: Uh, Joe, let me, ahead, let me let me try to answer that question because I'll get it and then I'll tee it up to you. I, I I would think that changing the format is okay. The question is, can you prove a chain of custody? That's can fair. you prove immutability? There's a there's a good word for you. It's a tech <laughs> word we use a lot, but it, I believe it it's a legal term as well. Um, can you prove that the content right? The, the words in the email and all the associated metadata associated with that email and the document, if it's a photograph, it has geolocation stuff in it. All of that metadata is all of that preserved in the process. Can you give to me, uh, you know, the thing that you stored, the thing that it was, can you give me, a, you know, something that preserves all of that? And can you prove, um, you know, to the best of your ability that the thing that was stored is the thing that you're giving me? Uh, what you did yeah. in the process, I couldn't care less. d it, put it on tape, put it on, you know, optical. I don't care. Just, you know, am I looking at the same damn email? Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know. With I, the I, metadata
1: pieces, right? That's With the, the metadata. The meta, yeah.
0: Well, the meta. Joe, tell me, it, tell me I'm wrong. The metadata is often what kills you, right? Because yeah. the, me, the metadata <laughs> shows this is a fake email. Right, the, the metadata shows that th- this email was sent an hour after the thing happened. This is a cover your ass email, right? Um, am I? Am I? Am I right?
2: Metadata is essential; uh, otherwise, it, it probably wouldn't be admitted. You know, right. the body of an email is just the body of something, <laughs> but who sent it and when, and all the rest. Uh, Absolutely, and you know, the there is no original in the sense of true electronic information you see and what yeah. i mean by that if we're having a conversation right now it's getting turned into zeros and ones but the original is what's happening as we speak not as somebody listens to it later but you, yeah. you presumably you can trust it you know yeah. uh, but but with with with, uh, with evidence the chain of custody as you put it is is really quite critical but the uh, you know, and we're in the world where people uh, spoof emails. So what is an authentic email? All these become valid questions in, the, uh, in a court.
0: Yeah, I do think in, in the olden days, uh, the difference between an original and a facsimile, it was a big, big deal. Right. You can yes. make changes in that process. Um, I, I think what. But did, did, are you okay with what I said? That, that what really matters is that that content of yes. the email, the metadata of the email, um, you know, all of that stuff. What you do in the process, and it's a lot of emails, right? It, isn't that what we're talking about? About ninety percent of the time is emails.
2: We we have uh, just. I mean, we're. An, I'm in a firm of. Uh... 550 lawyers, something like that throughout the United States. We currently have, what was the number I checked today? 150 databases we're keeping in active cases right now. Now, these are all significant cases, you know, where some have a million or more documents. That's what we're talking about. You have to think of all three phases, how complicated that gets. Uh, Analyzing the information being probably the hardest thing. That's when the lawyers really get involved. But the preserving and the collecting is 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 really uh, an LPO? Uh, you know, th- th- this is legal process uh, yeah. outsourcing work. That's what LPO. LPO. And we have them on staff, and we we have great uh, outsourced uh, service. Or you you couldn't handle a significant case today if you didn't.
0: Yeah the 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 two things that I warn people about again this this is this is one of my hobby horses. Joe is the whole thing of of a backup system is one thing, and an archive system is another. And that that you should get an email archive system um and you should not use your backup system as an archive system and that that by not doing that right and by the way most people don't most companies don't they have a backup system and they they don't listen to me um th- th- they see they see that archive system as an additional cost which it is it is i just i just try to tell them if you think that that archive system is expensive, wait till you get an e-discovery request <laughs> and you're going to have to do, what do you call them, SPOs? You're going to have to file, you know, no, LPOs. You said LPOs, right?
1: Well, that, that's
0: say?
2: just a company that, it, yeah. that helps lawyers do their work. Legal process. Yeah, yeah. so you're, you're going to be
0: paying industry. a crap ton of money to those companies to help you. By the way, I participated Years ago, there was an, another company that used an email their their backup system as their archive system, and they got a, a three year discovery request. And mm. we had a team of fifteen people that worked mm. around the clock, um, basically three teams of five, eight mm. hours a piece, uh, and each one of us was tasked with restoring a server to a particular point in time extracting the emails from that server, then going on to the next server. Right. And each person, so there were at any given point in time, there were five different people restoring a server to a particular point in time. It cost them, uh, as I recall, it cost them $2 million of my company's time, to satisfy that single electronic discovery request. And that's before, you know, y- your side of the world got involved. That was just, that was just the tech piece. Um, so we're no, not, we're not I, making this stuff up, are we, Joe?
2: <laughs> no, and, and and many of your listeners may, may 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 think of that. Well, those are the big cases. that will never be me, okay. But just in the normal, average, midsize case that our firm handles, okay, mm-hmm. you're talking ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month as kind of the common cost, not involving any lawyer time. Wow, you see that? Interesting. That, I mean, you you it just and the case will go on year and a half to two years. So, I mean, you can picture the cost. Now you get over a million dollars. You're talking probably $50,000 a month of, of outsourced service just to mm-hmm. try to avoid sanctions, to try to make sure you're doing what lawyers should do, which is produce the evidence correctly and properly, even if it's not good for your client.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So these
2: are I- very significant costs to uh, achieve the way we do litigation in the United States.
1: I think the other thing is when you're also doing these restores, Curtis, like when that firm brought in your company, right? I'm sure that also s- slowed down everything else they had planned going on, right? That they wanted to focus on as a company, as they were like, hey, we got to deal with this discovery issue now. Well,
2: persona, if I may, it's even worse than that because, uh, you know, when, on the collecting phase, it's what you see on TV. Give me your cell phone, you may get yeah. it back on Monday. Now, (laughs) usually it's a 24 hour thing if you've got people that know what they're doing, but an entire server can be offline for a Mm. company. And, you know, your average companies probably don't have a a fleet of servers the way cryptocurrency operators do. So they could literally be down for a day or two just to collect uh, information off that server because it's captured until that time. These are real problems.
0: Under what scenario would that to me seems like an extreme forensic collection? Correct. Is is that generally done only when like it looks like the company's doing something wrong like that, that a a normal discovery request wouldn't satisfy, wouldn't be satisfied?
2: Well, you know, most cases in America are not big cases. You know, divorces or you know evictions of tenants—they're all sort of, you, you don't have these problems in that. But any significant uh, litigation between companies or people who are badly injured uh, it's going to have an e-discovery request. And right. uh, if it's critical to see what Jack's e-phone, said, you're going to take Jack's e-phone for a day or two, and Jack's not going <laughs> to have it. Okay. You you don't, you don't, you know, put a little stick in there and walk away, you know, with a SIM card, you know, you, you know, uh, no, uh, this is, this can be very disruptive for a business for a short period of time, but that, that's right. what can happen because of the way we do litigation. Uh,
0: but I don't, but I don't think there's anything they can do to avoid that. It sounds no. like. So it's not, okay. not so in the, if that's not gonna in the happen, case that requires it. It's going to happen. Right.
1: Yeah. I know you mentioned Joe that a lot of this is U.S. specific. Could you briefly talk a little bit about international and if there are differences? Or I know sure. there's a lot of probably different regulations and everything else, depending on what country you get into, but just maybe the yeah. high high level points. That's a lot of what my practice has
2: been. I was the vice chair of the American Bar Association's International Lit- Litigation Committee for some time. And I've only been to 80 countries so far in person. Well, that's not even half in the world, but I can tell you, most of the world does not have what we have. Let's take Germany, for example. Uh, This is not an issue. You know why? Because basically, witnesses to a case don't become witnesses at the trial. Everybody presumes they would lie to favor their side. And you have to have the documents to file a case when you file a case. They don't have the discovery system we have, where... You ask yourself, give me your bad documents, would you please? And the other <laughs> side says, okay, here they are. <laughs> you know, a lot of the world thinks that's ridiculous. Now, I'm not taking sides between Germany and the U.S., but it's just to say right. each uh, the world is radically different uh, when you get into legal stuff. Now, we're not the only ones that do uh, significant discovery. You'll find it in Canada and in the United Kingdom and a lot of the common law countries. Uh, this has partly to do with how cases get, decided. Most countries are civil law cases where uh, the value of an arm that's been lost, well, that's in the code. We're not going to argue about it. For, you know, so uh, it's just yeah, that's quite a, that's different a, around
0: the world. Joe, you use that term, uh, common law country. You want to define that?
2: Well, common law, we inherited this from the British, although we fought to get away from them. But we inherited this <laughs> in the, the common law system, which is precedent, uh, and you you apply well. What did what did judges do last year, and the year before, and the year before that? And, and that we that will be decided in a civil law country. Uh, judges become judges at age twenty or one or twenty two, and they read the civil code and they apply it. It says what it says, and in the next case, you you read that and you apply it. Precedent is, I won't say unimportant, but it, it, mm. it, it's not a presidential type of thing. The common law system also means that judges have a certain right under. Uh, a lot of law to make the law because a statute won't ever cover everything. And so you still need to make sense who wins, who loses. Common law, you can do that. Civil code, nope. It's what the code says. At least what one judge thinks the code Uh, I could give you funny war stories if you're interested. But it's just Uh, to say uh, that uh, foreign foreign, litigation is very, very different from U.S. litigation.
0: Gotcha. So to To summarize what we've talked about here, um, it, it sounds like it, and, and hopefully I don't know maybe people knew this already, but <laughs> please, if your company is the party of a lawsuit or you've been, you've essentially been notified you're going to be a party in a lawsuit, that's when that preservation phase begins. if you suddenly start deleting stuff
2: or when you should have known that it could result in a you know, okay, you know, so a it
0: is when you should have known okay all right um and 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 there is i know there's a discussion so there's this moment sort of that moment well i i guess there's a question of there is the sort of normal i don't know spoilation would be the bad term but normal document retention and deletion like if that if that process were to happen and it suddenly it deletes some data that like today you've been notified um, and then that delete it. There might be some grace there, maybe. Yeah, you know, there's
2: a gray area. I mean, take take, uh, pr- you know, apps or providers that uh, tell you they'll delete data. after. Th- at least they won't keep data more than 90 right. days. They're right. very common. Nothing wrong with that. Once you're notified somehow, either, you, you know, somebody got killed by the vehicle you designed or right. whatever it may be. You're sort of on notice. You see what I mean? but but uh, before that if if things have been deleted they've been deleted there's there's no uh, real issue with that
0: but once you've been given notice you need to stop you whatever process you need to process.
1: take action to preserve
0: right right
1: and now usually that's sort of a legal team within the company that's then sort of coordinating and notifying like the various IT folks i would assume that yes yeah. this data of this type needs to be put on or needs to make sure it's not deleted Correct.
0: Right. Yeah. That's and right. hopefully that process is as simple as possible. If you don't know what that process is in your company, it's time to look into that now. Yeah. Because especially if you live in the in the confines of these United States, you're going to be sued for something. Uh, <laughs> you know, because... Because that's just the way we do things. It sounds like you're on board with my, uh, again, I know you're not a specialist in backup, but you would agree with the general recommendation to have a system that allows you to easily satisfy an electronic discovery request, not have one that's massively painful, uh, because that could both cost you a ton of money and possibly cost you an adverse inference instruction, which could then cost you the case. Is that... Well, I agree
2: with that. And okay. I subject to your very good point that archive is different from just raw backup.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: It has to be done correctly and, and thoughtfully. I mean, again, I because data minimization should be an important thing. I, I mean, One of my first assignments as a very young lawyer a long time ago was to go into what was then nothing but hard copy uh, backups. Our, our law firm's more than 100 years old. And I found these. Unbelievable things. I, mean, I found true yellow pads, if you remember that phrase, and, yeah, yeah. You know, with a pencil on it. And, and one scrawl of somebody's note, I found a, a love letter from somebody. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was 100 years old. Why are we keeping this? And we were paying Iron Mountain a fortune just to, you see what I mean? Now, that's kind of a silly example, but it's the same thing. Data is so cheap to keep, you see, compared to, you know, carrying boxes held in somebody's right. warehouse. That people are tempted, just well, you know, what is it, uh, fifty bucks a month for a terabyte? Yeah, of, you know, I don't know, but give that some thought. Why are you keeping it?
0: Yeah, if there's I think a good I think reason you is, should. I think you're, yeah. If there's a good reason to keep it, like a regulation or something like that, that's one yeah. thing. But I right. think your your point is, data may be cheap to keep, but it may also be expensive to keep.
1: <laughs> yes, you're right. It's, it's about right? risk you reduction, mean, right? At that, point. yeah. And that's the thing. I mean. A lot of people don't. Think about that, right? Like you said, they keep data mm-hmm. forever because they're like, yeah, maybe sometime in the future I'll use this for some purpose or another, but they don't realize the risk it opens up the company to in case there is a discovery, right? That right. comes in where they're like, hey, show me everything you have and say seven years ago, now you have all this data. And it's like, oh man, we maybe we shouldn't have kept that data, right? Like you say, the, you know,
0: it's the data right. minimization, right? That's key. Yeah. yeah. But to put the last point with this point, if you suddenly, as a company, decide Curtis is right, I should you know change my backup to my archive and I should delete old backups, make sure you're not about to be sued. <laughs> you do that. Right. When you, well, when you suddenly start deleting all backups older than two years, yeah, make sure you're not about to be sued when that happens. That would look really, really bad.
2: That would look bad. And beyond that, I'm not saying delete all backups. I'm just saying do the same thing you would do with a piece of paper. Uh, do I need to keep this category of stuff?
0: Yeah.
2: Exactly. If the answer is no, exactly. well, why keep it? That's all. That's all I'm yeah. Really saying. Yeah.
0: And uh, so, Joe, I want to I want to thank you a lot for coming on. I wish we had enough time to discuss all of the things behind you. I'm fascinated by all of that memorabilia you have.
2: Well, uh, that's because I'm an old guy. (laughs) (laughs) Had some great experiences. Talk to me about my time in North Korea sometime. That's uh, that'd be quite, quite fun. A little different litigation system there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I bet. All right. Well, yeah. A real pleasure
1: to be with you both.
0: Absolutely. And Persana, I have to thank you both for being on this podcast and for advising me on my car I situation. try,
1: Curtis. I try. And yeah. thank you, Joe. It was a pleasure chatting with you and learning more about the e-discovery side.
0: <laughs>
2: thank you,
1: Prasanna.
0: And, and thanks to our listeners. We'd be nothing without you. Uh, and remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all.